Welcome to New Life Friday Night. Hey, real quick, just this last Saturday, Zach and Tori got married. Can you give it up for Zach? Raise your hand, Zach and Tori, right here, yes. Woo! Come on. We are thrilled you're here, you two. God bless you. Tonight is a special night. If you've been around here for any length of time, you will know our guest speaker tonight. He's no guest. He's family here at New Life. I met Pete Gregg uh, 20 years ago now in Tulsa, Oklahoma in a prayer room, and this prayer movement was launching and sweeping the earth, and 24-7 prayer is this uh, incredible movement of God in over half of the nations on the earth. Prayer rooms, people interceding, prayer, mission, and justice, serving the poorest of the poor in the nations. And Pete is right at the front of that with his wife, Sammy. They also lead Emmaus Road Church in Guildford, England, and they're two of the people on the planet that I would trust with my life, and I don't waste those words. Uh, if, if life hit the fan and we needed something, or if I died suddenly and Lisa and the kids were on the brink, I would trust my family to Pete and Sammy Gregg. They're just that excellent. So tonight, would you please join me in welcoming not just a friend, but a father in the faith. Would you give it up for the Pete Gregg? Wow, you don't get introductions like that anywhere else. Unbelievable. Thank you so much. It is so nice to be back. Hello, New Life, Friday night. Um, and it, it is just beautiful to be here. We, we just kind of get excited driving into town. Uh, this is uh, one of, well, it's our favorite state in America, I'll be honest. Colorado, it's, our, it's the best, isn't it? And, and it's not just that, but it's looking particularly pretty at the moment with the, the snow there on Pikes Peak. And uh, Daniel and Lisa, you know, are genuinely some of the people we love and admire the most in the world. And so I'm afraid you've got a horrible love fest thing going on here. <laughs> but, but I mean, well, you guys know it's very hard not to just fall in love with these guys. If you're new here, these are good, good people. They're amazing pastors. And, um, you know, we, 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 we just love being with you. I was trying to work out, I think it was 16 years ago uh, that um, someone invited me, uh, probably Daniel, to come and do something here, and I just won't go away. So uh, at least once a year, just love coming and being uh, with you. And it's so gorgeous to have Sammy with me uh, this time. Give, it, give everyone a wave. Everyone's always interested in you, Sammy. And uh, so I think this is the ninth, if I've counted right, in your series working through the Sermon on the Mount. You guys do long series here. And uh, as you probably remember by now, Sermon on the Mount kind of the core of Jesus' teaching, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And last week, Pastor Daniel spoke brilliantly uh, on Matthew 6, 1 to 6, on nurturing the secret place of prayer. And so that was kind of almost like part one. And, uh, and, and this week, I'm going to pick that up at verse uh, 7. And we're going to think together about the most famous uh, prayer, perhaps some of the most famous words in the whole world, that is, of course, the Lord's Prayer. 
And I'm excited to be speaking with you about the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, because here in these words, we get right to the heart of the heart of the way, the thinking, the faith, the life of Jesus Christ. If you ever feel it's so complicated, Christianity, there's always something new you've got to learn. There's, there's some new conference you've got to go to. There's some new book you've got to read. I'm exhausted. Listen, the Lord's Prayer condenses it right down. We have here the heart of the heart of Jesus And I'm excited as well because in this prayer, we have the absolute key to growing in your own prayer life and going deeper in your relationship with God. And finally, I'm excited to be speaking on the Lord's Prayer here with you guys today, particularly because I believe there is a calling upon this church. There is something in the DNA of this church as a house of prayer for all nations. And so I want to speak into that today. Before we read the scripture, let's just think about prayer itself. I want to suggest to you that to be human is to pray. All the research uh, tells us that the majority of people in your street, in your workplace, believe in the power of prayer way more than go to church believe and practice prayer. A surprising number of people who call themselves atheists also admit to backsliding quite regularly (laughs) by talking to the God they don't believe in. Uh, The English word prayer is derived from the Latin word precarious. We pray because life is precarious. We, we, We pray because it's just too wonderful and too terrible. For us, and we don't know where else to turn. That's why, when you know you hold a newborn baby, no one says, "Behold, a biological fluke born into a meaningless universe." <laughs> Everyone suddenly thinks there's something miraculous here. That's why, when when you see the snow on Pike's Peak and you see the stars in the sky. No sane person says, "Behold, how magnificent I am." You, you feel small, you're aware of something greater. That's why there's nobody, if they get a terrible diagnosis from the doctor that goes home and says, I really should pray about this, but I struggle with prayer. We cry out to God. To be human is to pray. The New York Times best-selling author Anne Lamotte said you can reduce prayer into three words, help, thanks, And wow, it's a great little book that she wrote under that title. The Canadian psychologist David Benner says, prayer is the soul's native language. And Rabbi Abraham Heschel, everyone's favorite rabbi, says this, prayer is our humble answer to the inconceivable surprise of living. Isn't that good? Prayer is our humble answer answer to the inconceivable surprise of living. Water, water. <laughs> so prayer is this universal thing. And yet, let's be honest, it's also profoundly confusing at times. Prayer can be confusing intellectually. 
We say, why should I need to pray if God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving? Good question. And it's also confusing emotionally because every single one of us in this room have probably experienced at some point in our lives a disappointment around unanswered prayer. And so we think, why would I do that again? And then, as well as being confusing intellectually and emotionally, prayer can be confusing in just very practical ways. How do I actually do it? How do I construct communication with the God of the universe? Well, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus answers all three of these great questions. So uh, let's read this together now. If you're able to do so, would you stand out of respect for God's word? This is Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 7 through uh, 13. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Please be seated. By the way, have you noticed that when we do the Lord's Prayer, we add for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours uh, on the end. It's because Jesus just, he ended this great prayer like with the evil one. And we all like, Jesus, really, honestly, you need, to, you need to end the Lord's Prayer a little. So we've added, it's a prayer of David on the end, for the kingdom, the power, of the glory. Catholics don't do it, by the way. If you ever go to like a funeral and there's Catholics and Protestants in the room, the Protestants pray a little bit longer than the Catholics on the Lord's Prayer. You can tell. If the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, is the manifesto of Jesus Christ, then these words, the Lord's Prayer, is his creed. You may well know that it was customary in rabbinic schools at the time of Jesus to have a prayer, a kind of set prayer for your rabbinic school that was like your statement of faith. It set out your distinctive theological views. And so when we read in this account in Luke's gospel that the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray as John, John the Baptist has taught his disciples. They're saying, Jesus, it's kind of high time you gave us one of those creedal prayer things. <laughs> like, this is what you're going to do at this point. What's the prayer that's our prayer that's going to distinguish us from everyone else? And so when Jesus gave this prayer, it wasn't just some nice sentiments. He is saying this is the creed of those following in the rabbinic school of himself. And so here we have 300 years before the Council of Nicaea and the Nicene Creed, the creed of all Christians. 
If you want to understand the very heart and soul of the Christian life and faith, it's in the Lord's Prayer. Here in these 35 words, 38 words in the original Aramaic. To pray the Lord's Prayer is also to join with two billion others around the world today and some 2,000 years worth of Christian history. That's a loud chorus. And there are some people that say, you may have met them, we shouldn't repeat it. Jesus is just trying to teach us how to pray, not what to say. And they say it's vain repetition if you keep praying the Lord's Prayer. But I think they're wrong, and I'll tell you why. First of all, a friend of mine, Bishop Graham Tomlin, was in a Syrian Orthodox church in the Holy Land, and they were praying the Lord's Prayer. And the thing about the Syrian Orthodox is they still use the original Aramaic language that Jesus spoke, the ancient Aramaic. And so when you hear them praying the Lord's Prayer in ancient Aramaic, you're hearing the sounds that Jesus would have made. And my friend Graham was stunned because as he listened to them praying, the only place that you can do this in ancient Aramaic, what he heard was that the Lord's Prayer originally rhymed. Jesus wrote a poem. We lose that in the English, right? So he clearly was wanting to make this something that was easy even for kids to remember because he gave us a rhyme. And then fast forward a little bit. The earliest instructions we have on how to do church is an ancient document called the Didache, Instructions for the Early Church. And the Didache told the early church that they were to pray the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, three times every day. And we think that that was probably at the three times of prayer in the temple. Uh, Orthodox Jews to this day would pray the Shema, the Hear, O Israel, at least three times a day. And so this is like the Christian equivalent. This is what we do instead. And in my own life, I start every single day praying the Lord's Prayer. Is it vain repetition? I don't think so. There are times where I, I, I pray it pretty quickly, and there are times where I spend a lot of time around it. But this prayer is not just how to pray for me. It is a prayer that ultimately starts to pray me instead of me praying it. So what does the Lord prayer our Lord's Prayer actually teach us about how to pray, having talked about the value in just simply praying it and how to do life in the way of Jesus. Well, first of all, we hear in this ancient prayer that goes right the way back to Jesus. We get access to the inner world of Jesus in a beautiful way here. The first thing I want you to notice, it's so clear here, is that the way of Jesus is fundamentally simple. It's not complicated. Just turn to the person next to you and say, phew, that's a relief. <laughs> Anyone else here just like it? Simple. Okay. I can't tell you how many people around the world have come up to me and said, you know, I was expecting great things, but your teaching's really simple. And, <laughs> and I just, I, I'm like, yeah, you know, I try and make it really simple. The honest truth is I'm just not that clever. And so I just keep it simple because, you know, why pretend? Verse 7, 
here, Jesus says, don't keep on babbling like the pagans. You know, in the pagan religions at the time, they, they, they had incantations and different ways of praying. and they, they would recite all these kind of almost like magic words. He's going, don't do that. You're talking to your Father in heaven. Relax. And then in verse 8, he says, your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So it's not about getting all the right words. The best advice I ever received about how to pray, I've been uh, one of the leaders now of a global prayer movement for 23 years. We're in more than 100 nations. And so I've done a lot of thinking, a lot of reading about prayer in that time, made a lot of mistakes. But the best advice I ever heard was this, keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. Keep it simple. Keep it real, keep it up. Stay simple in your prayer life. Jesus explicitly says that here. Actually, in the message translation of verse nine, Eugene Peterson puts it like this. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. So uh, I've got a great friend, uh, actually he's, great friends of, of, of Daniel and Lisa as well. His name is, uh, is, is James Thomas. And uh, James and his wife, Julia, uh, are currently sailing all around the world. And uh, a few years ago, uh, James came up to Sammy and me and said, would you like to come on holiday with us? And they're the kind of people who have better holidays than us. I mean, just <laughs> do, do the math. They're the kind of people when they say, do you want to come on holiday? You don't check your schedule. You go, we're free. And the holiday was this, um, they, they, they rented out like a catamaran, you know, one of those dual-hulled yachts uh, on the Adriatic Ocean in Croatia. And our family had one hull and they had the other. And it was just idyllic. We sailed around, the sea was turquoise, there were dolphins. Every night, you know, we'd drop anchor, our kids would just jump in the water and swim around, then we'd pull them out, the sun would set, we, you know, we'd have al fresco dinner, and it was just gorgeous, night after night. And um, then one particular night, it was, it was even more beautiful than the others. The, the ocean was like a mirror. There was a blazing, fiery sunset. Our kids were wrapped in little snuggly white towels. We're sitting around just about to have dinner. It is perfect when this great cloud of mosquitoes rose up. <laughs> And some of you are so burnt out, you're going, good. <laughs> Thanks for that. Whereupon our friend James, who's just a lovely guy. This guy, I mean, he's successful. He, he, his company has owned big businesses that you've all heard of. You know, he's a sensible, sharp guy. But the moment these mosquitoes rise up, he immediately <clears throat> starts to pray. And he, and he says, oh, Father God, would you, just, would you just take away these mosquitoes in the name of Jesus? Like these, like this. And I'm looking around, and everyone else on this yacht, their, their eyes are closed, their buttocks are clenched, you know, they're, they're, they're rebuking the mosquitoes in the name of Jesus. And I'm sitting there like a, a cynic. I'm going, this is a stupid prayer. That's what I'm thinking. I think this is just done for several reasons. 
First of all, like ecologically, I reckon probably mosquitoes play some important role in the cycle of life. Uh, or is that the Lion King? I don't know. But, but, but you know. And, and, and secondly, I just figure God is busy, you know, with Ukraine and stuff. And I'm probably too busy to be that worried about optimizing the alfresco dining arrangements of posh people on the Adriatic. You know? And then thirdly, you know, I have a pastoral concern, which is this. My kids are joining in with this prayer, and when, not if, it doesn't work, they will conclude that the Father in heaven doesn't really care about them, and they'll grow up and become Satanists, right? So, so I'm, I'm there thinking, this is a stupid prayer. I've written, actually, I genuinely have written a book about why prayers like this are stupid. And, and so that's going on in my head. But they're all there, like, interceding, rebuking the spirit of mosquito-ness, you know. <laughs> and, then, and then something happens. James says, Amen. And the, it's the most annoying thing. I'm still furious about this. The moment that he says, Amen, <laughs> this gentle breeze rises up and blows away the mosquitoes. <laughs> no, 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 don't encourage him. Don't applaud, please. And whereupon, like, revival breaks out on our catamaran. Oh, thank you, Daddy God, you know. I'm like, I'm like, are you serious? I've had my heart broken down here with things you didn't do for me, and you do this? I mean, just raise your hand if you can relate to this. And to this day, I don't know if that was a miracle or just a meteorological fluke masquerading as one, right? <laughs> but this I know, and I know it for sure. If you only ever pray about big, gnarly problems, you will only very occasionally be grateful. But when you learn to pray about small things, like mosquitoes, you Get to live with greater gratitude. Do you understand? We are called to pray simply, conversationally, to walk and talk with God. Like Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening when there was no sin or sickness or suffering in the world. And so presumably they just talked to him about the weather and giraffes and stuff. Right, Your prayer life is at its best when you pray small prayers continually, not big prayers occasionally. Amen? Okay. Keep it simple. So uh, Sammy and I have two sons, and um, when they were very little... um, where you just have so much fun, don't you? But I remember that stage. You know that stage where a kid is beginning to work out that writing is a thing but they don't yet know how to do it how to read it or you know form letters and so Danny was at this stage and um, we encouraged him of course enormously anything he wrote as long as it was on paper and not on the piano like we're like that's amazing you know and then one day he came to me with this this page just full of scribbles I think we've got a picture here and here he is and um and, and, and he handed it up to me, he said, Daddy, look what I write. So I took the, I said, Daddy, this is 
unbelievable. This is incredible. This is like Shakespeare, you know. Whereupon he said, he said two words that just put terror into my soul. He goes, read it. <laughs> what do you do? Nothing in your life has prepared you for this moment. <laughs> so I stare at the paper, just give me a clue. Like, nothing. And I looked up really in desperation at his little face and suddenly kind of a miracle happened because I found that what I couldn't make sense of on the page, I could read perfectly in his eyes. I looked at his little face and thought about the kind of day he had had, what he'd had for dinner. It's easy because it was still on his shirt. <laughs> the things, the weird little things that go on in his head that he worries about. And I guessed what maybe the scribble on the page meant. And as I read what he had written, he stood there nodding. And at the end, he said, well done, Daddy. It was very good reading. And I said, thank you, because it was some of the best reading I'd ever done. <laughs> see, see, we think that these scribbles that we create in the air, these sounds we call words that we sometimes worship, are deeply meaningful. But actually, our Father in heaven reads our hearts. He looks at our faces. He knows what we had for dinner. He knows the weird little thoughts and the worries in our head. And he interprets the groans of our hearts and sometimes the sighs and the tears. And he understands. You know how he does that? Because he is your father. Do you understand? Keep it simple. And this is exactly what the scriptures tell us. Romans 8, 26 uh, to 27 says this, We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, through scribbles. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Isn't that beautiful? I remember a woman came, um, what, what, there was a prayer room that started in um, a place called Deerbrook in Missouri. And uh, they were praying night and day. It was incredible. They couldn't stop after a week or two weeks or three weeks. The pastor used to go down at the end of every hour, you know, as people came out of the prayer and the next people went in. Just to, and he would say to them, what happened in there? It was like they were coming out of the Holy Holies. What did God say? What did God do? And um, then they've been praying round the clock. Amazing things happening. Marriages getting restored. Miracles happening. And then this one poor lady came out of the prayer room and said uh, to the pastor, Gary Schmitz, um, he, he, well, he said to her, what happened in there? And she started to cry. And she said, oh, pastor, I'm so sorry. I failed. He said, what? He said, I, she said, I've let everybody down. He's like, what happened in there? And she said, I didn't pray. In praying all this time, I didn't pray. He said, well, what did you do? She said, I just cried. And he said, oh, darling, it's the best kind of praying of all. You understand, the Father interprets the groans of the Spirit. We do not know what to pray, 
but we have one who helps us. So let's be real. But also, in this teaching of Jesus on how to pray, we have a beautiful insight into another of the great distinctives of our Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't just say, keep it simple, don't babble. Your father knows what's going on in your heart. He also is profoundly reverent and worshipful. Hallowed be your name, he says. Start with worship. Start actually with a focus on God and not yourself. One of the beautiful things when you begin your prayer times with a little bit of adoration and worship is that you recontextualize your problems and you prime your own heart and mind to realize that maybe the things I'm feeling are not the sum total of all reality and maybe I am not the center of the universe and maybe if God is, and I'm talking to him, there's some power here and a different perspective that brings a little hope. And so we come to him with great reverence. Had such uh, a wonderful time a couple of weeks ago at Asbury. Many of you will have heard about the wonderful things that have been going on at Asbury Seminary there in Wilmore, Kentucky. And um, incredible sense of God's presence in the Hughes Memorial uh, Chapel there. And uh, you probably know that Wednesday 8th of February, uh, just a few students began to pray and seek God. And uh, then it's just sort of grew and it, it spread and uh, when I was there, there was, they reckon 100,000 people had passed through. The police had had to shut down the roads. And the place was just round people waiting four to six hours just to get in to seek God, all being led by people under the age of 25. No one over the age of 25 allowed to testify. Confession of sin, salvation, just stunning, stunning time. And uh, I had the privilege of sitting with many of the leaders behind the scenes trying to make some very difficult decisions that weren't reported on social media. Uh, but one of the leaders, a guy called Mark Benjamin, great guy in his 40s, pretty good worship leader, uh, amazing guy. And, and there was this moment that, you know, all these you know, 18-year-olds have been leading, leading worship, and it's going on night and day, and, and, and they kind of ran out of steam. There was a bit of a gap. So Mark said to the student who was leading all this, do you want me to get up and, you know, lead worship for half an hour? I'm happy to step in. And the student looked at him and said, well, he didn't, I don't think he knew who Mark was. He said, well, you know, you can probably do it, but you're going to have to go out into the consecration room to get prayed for and get holy. And so he went out the back there and they began to pray holiness into him. And then he came down, he's leading worship. He's thinking it's going pretty well here. It's going good. And then the student comes and whispers in his ear after about 15, 20 minutes says, I think you need to get off the stage now. And he says, why? And the student says, we're just sensing something isn't right in your heart. So this seasoned leader puts down his guitar and gets off the stage and goes and says, well, can you pray for me about what's not right in my heart? So he gets some prayer. Well, a little later, the student realizes that he's just taken one of the key leaders, told him he's not holy enough and removed him from leading worship after 20 minutes, when frankly, he's a lot better at it than most of those who had been doing it. And so he comes up to Mark. He says, I'm so sorry. I didn't know who you were. Do you know what Mark said to him was this? He said, no, you were right. I realized there was something not quite right in my heart. And by you challenging me, I was able to get right with God. Listen, that's leadership. 
That's humility. We are so sick and tired of being lead, led by narcissistic, controlling nutters as leaders that when humble leadership takes the stage, we sometimes think there isn't any. That's holiness. That's hallowed be your name. It matters what's happening in your heart. So guys, whatever it is that awakens wonder in your soul, discipline yourself to do it. Whatever it is that awakens praise in you, a Spotify playlist, reading the Psalms, getting up Pike's Peak, whatever it is, do it if it helps you to worship. It's not fake if you don't feel it. It's just still true. Thirdly, we see in this beautiful passage that the way of Jesus, as well as being simple and reverent, is profoundly relational. Verse 8, your Father knows what you need. Verse 9, our Father in heaven. Now, many of you will have seen this before, but it's so important that I just need to just be clear about this. When Jesus pulled together the Lord's Prayer, he was basing it around a pre-existing prayer called the Kaddish that was one of the best-known pieces of liturgy uh, in uh, Jewish belief at that time. And so let, let's just show you what this is. Here's the words of the Kaddish there on the screen. Magnified and hallowed be his great name. May he establish his kingdom during your life in the world which he created according to his will. This is a prayer that everyone knew. And so let's just lay the Lord's Prayer across that now. Next slide. Jesus adds our Father in heaven on the start. He adds on the end all these very practical requests about daily bread and about uh, protection. But there in the middle, he inserts his version of the Kaddish. Instead of magnified and hallowed be his great name, it's just hallowed be your name. Instead of may he establish his kingdom during your life, it's your kingdom come. Instead of in the world which he created according to his will, it's your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What I love about this is that it shows what is distinctively Jesus' voice here. What he is adding, he's saying this is what makes us us. And it is everything we've been talking about. It's that focus on the Father. It's that practicality of give us this day our daily bread. It's an earthy spirituality. Finally, the way of Jesus, I've said, is simple and is reverent and is, uh, uh, is relational. I've, and finally, the way of Jesus is supernatural. Because the other thing that Jesus is adding to the Kaddish here is this sense of a God who breaks in, a God who delivers us from the evil one, a sense of spiritual warfare, the kingdom of God coming. And, you know, it's become fashionable in certain quarters to say, in prayer, I don't believe anything happens out there. I just believe it happens in here. I believe I become the miracle. And it all sounds great, but it's just not biblical. Read your Bible and you'll find miracles from the start to the end. We have to have a cosmology if we're to be followers of Jesus, a belief in a God who does impossible things in answer to our prayers. And we heard that last week in 
Pastor Daniel's fantastic message. I loved as he talked about Margaret Turley Smith. What was she, your grandmother? Great grandmother, Margaret Turley Smith, widowed and then for 26 years interceding quietly daily for her kids and her grandkids. She understood a God who breaks in. She understood that history belongs to the intercessors. And so my simple invitation to you today is to rediscover this beautiful invitation, not just into a relationship with God in some religious way, but into a relationship with God that is simple and conversational, deeply reverent and expectant of miracles. That story about the mosquitoes getting cleared away. Maybe there's an invitation to simply rediscover that walking and talking with Jesus through your daily life. That story about our son scribbling and the father interpreting it. I actually sense as I was preparing, there may be someone here that there's a calling upon you to use visual art as a means of worship and prayer. It may be that's something that you've done in the past and you've laid down. It may be there's a a, a reminder today that your prayer life is so much more than the words that you say. It is the posture of your heart. And maybe for some of us, it's even just this challenge around a spirituality that is less passive and contends, believes in the kingdom coming, that will stand and pray even if it's 26 years, persevering until the breakthrough comes. So I can't think of a better way to end than how we started, by praying the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. So uh, once again, why don't we just stand together if we're able to do so. And remember, as we pray this, we're praying with two billion others, going back 2,000 years. These words that Jesus gave us as a way of how to pray, but also as a summation of the very heart of the heart of everything that he believed. So let's pray together now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to invite our communion servers to come forward. Give us this day our daily bread. And what we're going to do is we're going to come through the room. If you're new with us, we'll, we'll step out. If you're not able to physically come, ask someone next to you to bring you an extra. They would be happy to do that. But we're going to come through the room, get your communion elements as we worship. Go back to your seat, stand and hold it there. And in just a minute, I'll come back up and we'll receive and we'll worship just a little bit more. Come and receive from Jesus as we worship.